Welcome to Politics and Bros. This is the podcast where two guys who spent their careers on the inside of federal politics and government are now on the outside and only have each other to talk about how things are going. We're recording on January 28th, 2021, and this is episode 31. I'm your co-host, Pete, and with me, as always, my good friend, Howell. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. Hey, buddy. <laughs> What's up? I like you. I like sex. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why I just pulled out Borat, but whatever. Did you have you seen the new the new one? No, no, I refuse to see the new one. Why? Because it's like I don't know. I, I I mean, all the good stuff I kind of with like Giuliani and you know Diddy. Was he trying to get a Hummer from that girl? I mean, <laughs> I kind of feel like you once you know that story, there's no reason to see it. Mm, it's pretty funny. I guess. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Like I Is thought, it still on a uh, Prime. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Man, maybe um, if I'm bored. I definitely laughed out loud. I mean, there's some pretty uh, cringeworthy moments, but there's definitely some pretty funny parts too as well. Um, so I'd recommend it. But okay. it, at the yeah, it's not quite as good as the first one. I mean, but it's it's pretty good. So yeah. Um, I mean, the question should be: How are people still falling for it? I mean. Well, that, that was one thing I noticed when I was I was going through watching it. I was like, I bet this is actors doing this part. Yeah. And then there's only a few parts where I think they actually um, got people on mm. to fall for it. One of them happened to be Giuliani, but you know, he, <laughs> he falls for a lot these he days. He falls for a lot of things. Though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's pretty good. What's up with you? Very little. Um, working. It's cold here. It's cold. A lot of snow. Shoveled. I've shoveled a lot in the last. Uh, More week. is coming. What's that? More is coming this weekend. More. Yeah, that's awful. God, I hope it's not that much. Um, it was originally supposed to be. Oh no, I'm sorry. That's next week. Next week there was rain in the forecast, but now it's actually switched to snow. Um, but I mean, it's been such a mild winter that I kind of feel like we were due anyway. Um, yeah. But I'm just shoveling this the other day when we had eight inches on the ground it was not fun. Well, I just got back from Utah last week and we are still getting acclimated to not seeing the sun for days at a time, mm-hmm. which is love, a lovely part of winter here in Chicago for yeah. those who may not know. Um, I think I heard someone say that there at one point in December and into January, there were about 20 straight days where the sun didn't come out. Sounds about right. Um, yeah, so we're, we're we're having some seasonal affective disorder uh, mm-hmm. adjustments here, um, and shoveling snow as well. But uh, just just uh, hoping to these these COVID numbers continue to to drop, and we we start soccer next weekend indoors and with masks. But you know, it's nice to be kind of having some activities again. Yeah. 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 Um, indoor dining again. I yep. don't know if you've you've taken part, but we have not, not yet. yet. But um, yeah, so we're gonna do an a um, for Valentine's Day. We're gonna do a meal kit from Avec. Um, huh. So okay. that, I don't know when we're gonna have a chance to do um, outdoor. Uh, tell tell in, our listeners in, what Avec is. Oh, Avec is a phenomenal restaurant in the West Loop of Chicago. Um, is it Michelin? Uh, Star? Uh, I think they have they had did they did win a Michelin star at one point and may still have it. Um 
but yeah, it's phenomenal. It's a great place. Um, I don't remember what the what's on. I don't remember what's on the menu. I think more has seen it, but I haven't. But we did uh, for New Year's Eve. We did Girl and the Goat oh. um, meal kit. We didn't have to cook. You just had to reheat that one, and it okay. was delightful. Delightful oysters. I, I saw and... Stephanie Izzard was recently um, subject to the woke mob. Did you oh, she that? was. I didn't see this. What happened? I, I, For those of you who don't know, Stephanie Izzard uh, is the uh, executive chef and owner of Girl and the Goat in Chicago, which is a great restaurant. She she posted some recipe and she was accused of cultural appropriation. Oh, good God <laughs> Almighty! She also won um, Top Chef season four. Um, I'll look it up while we're while we're talking. She, she does. I mean, but she she does have like a lot of Asian um, influenced dishes at Girl and the Goat. But not she does the whole whole um, the Chinese restaurant. Yeah, she has a Chinese restaurant too. Yeah, yeah. Duck, duck, goat. Yes, is that cultural appropriation? <sighs> Give me a fucking break. People are just out of their minds. She made a bibimbap photo, and I guess um, without any cultural context, I guess she didn't give them enough credit. The Koreans enough credit? I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's a Korean say, dish. How much more credit do they need? <laughs> I will say that this, if this is what the next four years is going to be like, um, I'll take it. <laughs> it's better than what it was. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, well, I, this I, is what I, the last, I mean, honestly, this is what the last four years was like in terms of cancel culture and, and woke mobs. So it's sort of, I mean, it hasn't changed in, in that respect, but yeah, but yeah, it was just drowned out by, daily assaults on the constitution and American true democracy true um but yeah i mean it sounds like you kind of like me are just kind of easing into 2021 after an insurrection um mm-hmm. biden has now been inaugurated mm-hmm. he, he had been, not been, been on the job about a week right we had we recorded before he was inaugurated yeah. so um i gotta How say you feeling I got to say, it's nice not like checking Twitter or the news and and having my head explode every every uh, every day. How about yourself? Uh, no, I totally agree. I mean, uh, you know, I have issues with a couple of the executive orders that have been signed, but I mean, that was sure. And expect- I want to talk about this. That, yeah. that was expected. Um, it wasn't like that was a huge surprise, and it's not like it was, you know end of the world sort of stuff. It's just kind of like par for the course change in political party philosophy, I guess. And it it also plays into my utter disdain for executive orders. But um, other other than that, I mean, it seems like cabinet secretaries are getting confirmed pretty quickly uh, and with pretty broad support. Uh, Blinken, I think, got 78 votes, 72 votes, I forget. And Yellen got, Yellen got, uh, 80 Austin, something. Austin was 93 to 2. Yeah. Haynes was 84 to 10. Yellen was 85 to 15. And Blinken was 78 to 22. There you go. Um, yeah, I don't know if any of Trump nominees got anything close to that. I think like Mattis did. Okay. For sec- for uh, defense secretary. I mean, but, DeVos yeah. was like 51. 49. Oh, yeah. Voss was like, yeah, by the freaking skin of her teeth. Um, DeVos was just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 
but um, um, yeah, it's not. Uh, I mean, it's nice to normal. It's funny, you know. I think a lot of the uh, guy, a lot of the senators are trying to. Well, at least Senate leadership is trying to kind of navigate their way through this, especially since they're going to be fifty-fifty. But, um, well, it's yeah. been interesting. It's quiet. Yeah, it's boring mean, again. <laughs> I know. Like I, I have here in our notes, like, are, are we actually talking like, like pros and cons of policy? You know, <laughs> um, what you know should co- should the COVID relief package be? be big or small, which yeah. if you're going to air to which side, which would it be better to, to take on more debt or, you know, or raise that, you know, the deficit or whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's refreshing in a way, you know, I mean, the people are still at each other's throats, but it's, it's, um, not the, not the same sort of existential, I don't know. It depends on who you ask, but um well and i think as far as like mainstream mainstream media goes it's nice seeing that kind of the common sense republicans like liz cheney and the new congressman from michigan peter meyer and even mcconnell too they're trying to talk sense into some of the crazies in their caucus and you know to varying degrees of success but it's nice that 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 narrative is out there um Mm -hmm. i mean on the flip side too the narrative then leads you to the fact that there's a bunch of crazies that are fighting these rational um, Republicans who want to be part of, you know, these rational Republicans want to be part of the, the, the uh, loyal opposition and not just, you know, spewing bullshit and hate all the time. So, yeah. Um, I mean, just, it seems like within the last 24 to 36 hours, crazy Marjorie green has, you know, been getting a lot of press. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff she's written in the past, um, I mean, talking about murdering, basically murdering, yeah, yeah dem- democratic lawmakers. I think I saw today something about um, the she blamed the wildfires on like a secret Jewish laser radar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that is that true? I didn't hear. I didn't read that. Yeah. Yeah, it's in it's in the New York magazine. A secret Jewish laser. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, amazing. I, I, and I don't know, like, did first off, did I guess she ran unopposed, so there was nobody to do opposition yeah. research for her. But regardless, I don't think that would have made a difference where she was running, right? She probably that was probably looked upon as a as a feature of her candidacy rather than a bug. Well, it's it's interesting because I her predecessor, uh, Tom Graves, who is actually a guy I know, um, and he's he's a conservative. I mean, he's a conservative Republican, but he's not a knuckle dragger, you know, mouth breather. Um. I was shocked, and I, th- I i don't know how he felt. I've never asked him because I, I, I didn't want to put him in that position, but I was shocked that she is what ended up being <laughs> his replacement because he's really, he's even keel. He flies under the radar. Um, he's not an attention you know seeker in any way, shape, or form. He's one of those guys that wanted to go to D.C. to do, a good, do good things, and, 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 you know, but she is just... And that's not that district is pretty rural in North Georgia. Um, like Dalton, like right. Yeah, where you Dalton. Go it kind of butts up. It butts border. up to the Tennessee border, um, and it's you know, yeah, she's 
yeah, Marjorie's a piece of work, man. I don't know how this is going to, I don't know. How, I don't know. And I don't know what the bench looks like in, in Georgia politics, Republican politics for that seat. So, I mean, she could, I mean, she could, it's a Republican seat in theory. She could have it for as long as she wants it. Well, it's like, I mean, it's, but, it's kind of like you were saying in the last episode or the one before where it's like kind of looking at her will kind of give us a sense of how long the GOP might be in the wilderness. True. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How, how does the institution of the, the Republican Party respond to her um, versus uh, voters as well? And is she is she repudiated in 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 the house i don't know doesn't seem well, like she's going to be maybe she well and i think the wilderness in the ha- for the house representatives is a little bit different than it is for the senate or for their presidency because you know i kind of feel like republicans could easily win back the house in 2022 mm-hmm. um just based on what districts are in play every two years um but the senate is the other thing you know we've we've already gotten a couple of retirements that are a big hit uh, level-headed Republicans, cons- real conservatives, not not the Trump conservatives like um, Rob Portman from Ohio is retiring now. Pat mm-hmm. Toomey from Pennsylvania is retiring. Those are, I mean, those are two big losses. Um, and you know, Portman said that the and reason why he's Burr retiring because he said he's retiring too, right? Who is that? Burr had already said he was retired. Burr already said, yeah, he was done. I mean, he's been there. For, he's been in Congress, for, but again, a, a, forever, a but... sort of a more traditional Republican. Yeah, a more traditional. Yeah, it's true. Um, but you know, I think Ohio is going to stay in Republican hands. But who who fills that seat? Who wins? Um, and, and, and it could be Jordan is not running. Thank God. But I mean, it could be it could be somebody like him though. Um, I don't know Pennsylvania if Republicans are able to hold that seat. I think Toomey you know, he had, he had cultivated a very big following in Pennsylvania among independents and even some more conservative Democrats that I just don't know a, a, a more kind of uh, flashy Trump kind of Republican could, could hold on to. So I think that Pennsylvania is probably gone uh, after Toomey leaves for the Republicans. But again, level-headed good Republicans are just like we just lost, we just lost Lamar Alexander. You know, we lost some really good guys, Mike Enzi, it was gone now for to retirement, and now it's we. It's still a lot more of that happening in 2022, which is sad. But and it's funny, Alexander and Corker both retired in successive mm-hmm. elections, and look yep. who replaced them. Yep. Um, I mean, I I'm just I'm a little disappointed, Marsha Blackburn. I used I liked her a lot when she was a House member. I knew she was a little bit more, you know, bomb thrower. Uh, that I liked, but I, at least I knew she had policy chops and I, I think she just kind of embraced the full bomb thrower persona when she got to the Senate, unfortunately. And Haggerty um, went full Trump and immediately mm-hmm. challenged the election results. And I saw today he's, he's hired at least 12 Trump staffers as well. Um, Jesus. So, I don't know the Tennessee Republican Party. I don't know. Maybe we should talk about like the state. These state Republican parties are just kind of like going all in on Trumpism, even after he left. I think it's because it's the base is still wants Trump. I mean, I think there what was the latest poll was um, there was a poll. I can't remember what the number was, but it was heavily favored towards Trump and. 
basically Trump-like candidates and representation um, mm-hmm. from the base. I think like 78% of Republicans said they wanted a, a Trump-like candidate for any office, not just presidency. Um, and I think it, a lot of it comes from this whole, you know, plain speak or this perception that he fights, he's, he's a fighter. I don't, I still never, I still don't understand hundred percent what Trump was fighting for at the end of the day. And it wasn't, it wasn't Republican ideals. I'll tell you that right. much, but, um, there's been this obsession with fighting back ever since Romney lost in 2012. People thought if he could have been a fighter, he could have beaten Barack Obama. I don't think that's true, but um, I think no amount of pushback was going to, was really going to save that campaign at the end of the day. But for some reason it got, it got ingrained in people's heads that we need somebody who's going to be a fighter and fight, I guess, dirty. I, I don't know, but. It's it's disheartening to say the least. What do you make of the the theory that um the the Republican Party is shedding people like you, moderates and mm-hmm. and sort of maybe more traditional conservatives, and that they that the base or even more of the of the Republican Party is now Trump? fanatics and that it's kind of like a vicious cycle because they have to keep getting closer and closer to them until they're maybe obsolete. I started getting uncomfortable with the direction of the party. Um, honestly, um, in 2007, 2008, because more and more of the bomb throwers were coming in. And by bomb throwers, I mean the, the conservatives that were, like uh, kind of the earliest iterations of, of what we now know as Trumpism um, who are willing to, you know, you know, break shit and mm-hmm. be in your face. And, you know, this, this fighter kind of persona mentality. And um, I was, I was, on a, I was at a phone call with a, with an old colleague um, who is in the administration. He works um, for one of the agencies. Uh, he didn't work in the West Wing, but he, he was asking me just, I think just general career advice, like what thoughts I had. And um, we kind of got into a conversation about conservatism. And he was like, you know, man, you were, you're, you were like the pragmatic conservative. And I was like, I, I, I was, I, I took it as a compliment, but I don't know if he, uh-huh. if that's how he meant it. <laughs> He's, and he was like, I think the bomb thrower, I, I'm, there's still more of a bomb thrower in me. And then I kind of just was like, is it a bad thing to be a pragmatic conservative to actually want to do things and pass good policy and, and not just, right. you know, go to the floor and make a speech where you point out the hypocrisy of your opponents and demonize them for it? I guess, I mean, I, and I remember, I immediately thought back to when that really started kicking in. It, and I heard a lot more of those kind of floor speeches in, in the Senate back in 2007 and 2008 of, of members going to the floor and basically just... Yeah. blasting away at Democrats for their, you know, perceived hypocrisy on issues, but then not doing anything about it, not, not introducing policy, not pushing for trying to, you know, forge some kind of compromise on a bill. And, you know, all of that's gone away since. And, you know, mm-hmm. we've seen statistics over and over again, year to year, you know, less and less amendments are being offered to bills, less and less votes on bills, you know, more logjam, more stalemates. And then that kind of plays into the whole conversation about whether or not we should get rid of the filibuster. And, um, 
you know, everything has been kind of dragged to a halt. And that's why, you know, Portman said he doesn't want to run anymore. He's like, nothing's yeah. getting done. So why the hell would I waste my time here anymore? And he's a guy who always wanted to get things done. He was very pragmatic when he was in the house. He was mm-hmm. U S trade representative. So he was, he was uh, negotiating deals in, in the Bush administration. And then I think in the early days of the Senate, he, he employed really, really smart, motivated staff and, you know, it's, things slowly just kept on crawling to a halt, but. Well, that, that's a good maybe segue into kind of what we wanted to talk about mm-hmm. this week. And that's really like the first hundred days, the Biden agenda, um, what can get done, what is realistic, what are their goals, um, you know, how will they do it, what what legislative changes will be made or what legislative processes will be used. Um, you know, the, they say they're addressing four crises, right? COVID, the economy, racial injustice, climate change. My, my immediate thought when I saw those was that two of those are actual immediate crises and two are serious problems that need to be dealt with, but probably should not be put on the immediate um, uh, burner like it appears they're doing. Now, maybe (laughs) I'm reading their rollout wrong, but I feel like, you know, COVID economy should be one and one A. And, you know, if you want to say, we're going to look at everything through racial injustice lens as well as, you know, climate change as well as sort of like themes for the administration uh, of crises we need to confront, then sure. But I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on that messaging rollout? I mean, I think, I mean, COVID number one, obviously, I I think that's true. And, you know, probably Mm -hmm. 1A is the economy, but there's, there's, there's racial injustice that can be sprinkled into the economy to, to bring the economy back just by based on the effect on black and brown communities um, and how, you know, there's a tendency for not just black and brown, but for communities in general, some communities, some, some disparities to happen and they get left behind um, as everything else starts to pick, pick up. So, I mean, I think, as long as the economy is done right and it's done addressing and it's, it's, it's worked so that it addresses some of those problems, you know, the racial injustice stuff, I, I don't know what more can be done on criminal justice reform. I don't know about police reform on the federal level, if that's even possible, but I think COVID in the economy and hopefully the economy fixes that are done for the economy, that whatever package that Biden is able to negotiate, um, does help out all communities in an equal way uh, and not mm-hmm. just leaving anybody behind. Cause that would be sad and tragic um, with climate change being like a freaking distant <laughs> in the past. <laughs> and that's where like the executive orders, you know, halting the Keystone pipeline, putting a ton of people out of work doesn't really help your case for the economy. I understand, again, I understand why he did that by executive order, but I don't think it was the smartest move. Um, you know, I do believe there is legitimacy to the people who are saying that not only are you putting thousands of people out of good paying jobs, but you're also increasing our dependence on foreign oil. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there that is those are certainly legitimate arguments to make. Um, but, you know, 
when a new president, especially a you know liberal one, comes in, they've got to satisfy multiple, multiple constituencies. And that's kind of always been my issue between Republicans and Democrats. Republicans, do, it doesn't seem like there's that many constituencies outside of like the Second Amendment and pro-life people. And maybe, you know, the mil- military industrial complex. But there's so many constituencies on the liberal progressive side that it, it, your head starts to spin when you see all these executive orders getting signed because you know it's to satisfy somebody, some other group out there. And there's just endless, an endless list of those people out there. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you've always talked about the pendulum, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how uh, it swings back to the other side, mm-hmm. the way we, we govern these days. Um, I will say that I don't think Biden's, any of Biden's executive orders um, really push the boundaries of what's been done in the past. Like they all seem pretty within the confines of what's been done before Mm -hmm. by executive order. Maybe I'm missing something or an argument. Um, But uh, it, it does speak to that pendulum you talk about. And um, even the, the New York times today published an editorial and it's called, um, hold on one second, ease up on the executive orders. Yeah. Um, it was from their editorial board. And, uh, I mean, I know they want to try and like remove the stain of the Trump presidency yeah. as quickly as possible and show that they are differentiating themselves. And Biden really needed that to maybe get some progressive buy-in for the rest of his, yep. uh, the work he's going to do. Um, but I, you know, I think, and I don't, I personally understand, like you said, why they've done everything they've done. Um, I, there's this talk of unity, right. Um, that the Biden, Biden campaigned on and there's a hope that he can, maybe bring some civility back to, to government and Republicans are crying that um, all these executive orders are showing that he wasn't serious about unity. Uh, And so my only real consternation with the executive orders is that it is giving ammunition to um, not having unity for the you know for the GOP, I think is probably looking for any reason to not work with the Democrats, um, and this is certainly ammo served up very very quickly off the stop in the first ten days yeah. for them to use against the Democrats and the Biden administration for not working with them. Yeah, I mean, there, but also, it, I don't know how you start things off. Like I said, I think executive orders are terrible because th- this is what happens. The next guy comes in and he rewrites them all and reissues executive orders or cancels executive orders. And it's, this it's is a why way to govern. It's a horrible way to govern. This is why Congress needs to, needs to put themselves in a position to where they can actually do their job and pass laws, which is what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of having a president come in writing laws that only last while he, you know, he or she is in office until the next person comes in and scraps them or does whatever. 
Um, it just, that doesn't create unity at all. Um, it actually reopens old wounds. It makes, it makes things sting a lot more than it should. Um, I mean, that's not to say that, that Trump doesn't, didn't have, I, I, I don't know if he did. I didn't pay attention to every single one of his, I'm sure I agreed with maybe a couple of his executive orders. And then same thing for Biden. I'm sure I agree with some of the things he, he's done, um, allowing trans people to serve in the military. I think that is perfectly reasonable for that to happen. If you want to go to war, if you want to fight for your country, it shouldn't matter who you are or what you are or what your identity is. Um, but that's kind of the libertarian side of me coming out. Um, but, you know, also it's not a way to govern. What's that? Also the human side of you. Yes. Well, I think, I, I hope so. I, you know, and, but, you know, also too, like some of the, you know, immigration things, I haven't looked at all the executive orders on immigration, but we need Congress to step in and actually write a new immigration policy and pass it and get buy-in from all the stakeholders. And we had chances to do this a couple times in the early 2000s, and they both got scrapped for political bullshit reasons. And now it's time to actually sit down and figure this out and you know, we do have millions of people here who are undocumented. It's time to under to find out who's here, wh- how they're here, what we need to do to put them on a path to citizenship. Uh, you know, and by doing all this stuff by executive order doesn't make it better; it makes it worse by inflaming the debate and upsetting people um, on both sides of this of the um, of the issue. Um, it's just a, like you said; it's a shitty way to govern. I mean. Not that the way the Trump administration handled DACA was was mm-hmm. good in any sense of the way, yeah. but if there was a silver lining to the way they approached it, it was they almost were trying to give Congress back the power to 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 figure it out. Yeah, and and Congress was like, "I'm not touching this." <laughs> well, and the Supreme Court's been doing that with a ton of decisions lately. It's you know. Congress needs to figure this out. Congress needs mm-hmm. to do, and I'm I, I don't have specific examples in my head right now, but um, they they well, are, they a- do exist. I'm ACA, not making that up. I think. Yeah, ACA is one, um, but you know, Congress needs to do their job, and I think this trying to figure out with a how a fifty fifty Senate is going to work um, is going to be crucial. The debate over the filibuster is crucial. All of these things need to be figured out so that Congress can get back to the business of actually debating policy and writing laws that make sense. Um, what the you know kind of the X factor, unfortunately, is are there serious enough people being elected to Congress to actually do these things? Which I would, there's great arguments to say that there aren't those people, but um, at least putting them in the position to where there's no more excuses is what we need to be trying to figure out how to get to. Um, well, I want to get to the filibuster, the debate over the filibuster in a second, but yeah. real quickly on unity, um, I, I to get back to that because mm-hmm. you know I think we talk about you know being more civil and having conversations and and debating things rather than just screaming at one another, um, and I do kind of feel like. Uh, you know, on the one side, uh, Biden administration is early governing by executive order. On the other side, I think um, the GOP talking heads may be misconstruing what unity is. They seem to be arguing 
oh, well, you're completely disregarding. You're not, you're not taking and listening to any of the things we have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you're just, you're just, um, governing by executive order. Right. Um, when I think maybe the unity that, uh, but the Biden administration was maybe going for more was just like, let's not make everything, um, every discussion, some sort of political existential battle where, you know, when you're signing your executive order, you talk about how bad the other side handled it previously. Um, you just issue your order and say, this is how things are going to be done, which um, the Trump administration always took uh, ch- any ch- chance it could to take shots at sort of how yeah. the Obama administration handled something. Yeah. And so I, I get what the, where you can kind of play the unity message where, you know, you can't govern by executive order and, and claim unity at the same time, but it's also not, they shouldn't expect a complete yielding to the Republican positions on, um, pos- on policy. Yeah. After all elections have consequences. Election, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, and, you know, if I, I don't, the, something that I think Biden would say, I don't think he has said this, but I think he would say is something like, you don't like it, then pass, then then write a law. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, I mean, that is the one thing that, you know, these executive orders could spark is you, you have a president or you have somebody of authority say to say to the Congress, okay, you don't like this executive order? Well, then get, get in a room, figure it out with your colleagues, come to a consensus, get a vote, and send me a bill that changes it or alter or, you know, amends it or whatever alters this policy and make it permanent instead of me having to come in and clean up the mess from the previous administration. Mm-hmm. Um, but that challenge is going to be interesting. The problem too is, is that we've, we've entered, we've been in an age now for, for several election cycles where professional advocates are being elected to Congress. And that, I don't know. I don't know a way around it, but that creates a whole host of issues. People who are die hard on one issue or a couple issues because it fits into their ideology, and it's on both sides. You've, you know, I would say Marjorie Taylor Greene. She she's a professional advocate for conspiracy theorists and the QAnon, um, mm-hmm. which of course puts her in a box. Mm-hmm. Um, the squad, I would say are all professional, were professional advocates before they became members of Congress. And that puts them in a box because there's no compromising on the issues that they care about or that Marjorie Taylor Greene cares about. Um, and well, there's no reality to what Marjorie Taylor Greene cares about. So true. <laughs> well, and, and, and two, in fairness, there's n- not a lot of reality to what some of the things that the squad wants to do, um, and some of their issues, not all, but probably some. Um, well, because... I think it's a difference of policy and conspiracy theories. I don't oh, think yes, that... yes, of course, yeah. of course. I don't mean, yeah, I didn't mean to minimize their, their policy positions to conspiracy yeah. theories, but they don't want to compromise on their policy positions. That's, they want that's it the way, yes. they want it the way they envision it. And they're going to do what they can by electing more people that think like them. They're going to challenge uh, their colleagues in primaries, or get people to challenge their, col- their colleagues in primaries, and it's it's just it's going to spiral too. So, what I'm hoping for Biden is that he gets control of his of his party is now the head of the Democratic Party, and gets and kind of 
put some of that stuff aside. I see that McConnell and McCarthy are trying to do the same thing for in defense of Liz Cheney and her vote to impeach Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Um, They're all trying to get back to that, that old, uh, the 11th commandment, um, Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment that thou shall not speak badly of other Republicans or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Um, And that, I think that's the only way you can get to unity. Real unity is if you stop cannibalizing your own party um, and it's happening on both sides and it's just creating more and more radicals um, in Congress. And I don't see an end to that anytime soon. Maybe it will be in the future. Um, but that's well, only what do you make? You what do you do make that. of what do you make of kind of the the what, what do they call yeah, This is where I'm le- going to lean on you. The the governing rules of the Senate that McConnell was pushing for a, a written statement that the Democrats wouldn't end the filibuster. Is that what they call <laughs> the governing the set of governing rules or something like that? The, yeah, it's the rules. Of, Rules of the Senate, yeah. The rules of the Senate, and what yeah, do you the rules make package of kind of how that played out initially when we wrote the outline? I don't think it had been resolved, but mm-hmm. it seems like McConnell was satisfied with um, Mansion and Cinema saying yep. they were against it, um, even if it's an informal agreement mm-hmm. to not end the filibuster. Well, I mean, I think not ending the filibuster—it's always an informal thing. It's not written in the constitution but then again the senate rules same as the house rules are not written in the constitution they get to decide every congress what their rules are going to look like and filibuster i think not to trivialize it but it's been more of a tradition than anything and it's been a way to protect minority mm-hmm. the minority party's rights in the debate um of course you know it's created more of a logjam recently in the, in the last probably 20 years and you've seen it done away with on federal appointments to the bench and then ultimately to the Supreme court as well, mm-hmm. because those were, those vacancies were going on forever. Um, but it was never applied to policy. Um, so I think it's, a, I think it's an important tool. I think it should never go away and anybody and it's always the when when a new party comes into ma- the majority and has the power, the instinct is always to, um, well, now we can finally get rid of X, Y, and Z that we hated uh, because we couldn't get any of our bills passed or whatever. And that's always the overreach, you know, that that pendulum right. swinging back. It's always there, and you you have to remind. I think in this case, McConnell was trying to remind the Democrats, like, listen. Majorities don't last forever, and mm-hmm. when you're back in the minority, you're going to wish you had this again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just point to Harry Reid, and, and yeah, the, I mean, look, they they should have learned their lesson from that. Well, and any any Democrat that keeps on that I've or any liberal that I've read read or talked to that's you know, we we need to get rid of the filibuster. Well, I'm going to remember that the next time you you bitch about Amy Coney Barrett getting put through too fast. Or, you know, Kavanaugh or whatever. Because if you had the filibuster, then that stuff wouldn't happen and you would have been able to prevent those seats from being filled. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, because everybody forgets when they get in the majority that they can that they can run, the, you know, they're going to run shit this time and they're not going to make any apologies for it. And then they end up paying for it when they're back in the minority again. Um, well, what, what do you do if you're Joe Biden... 
and it's it's you know April and you haven't gotten anything through Congress. I mean, you know, those first hundred days are when most of the legislation gets gets you know put through, right? Or what do you do if you're not make, getting any traction? Um, you can't get anything out of committee or, uh, you know, what would you advise they do? Well, it's different. It's because since it's a 50, 50 Senate, it's going to be a little bit different. It's, it's not going to be that hard to get things out of committee because they're going to go by the rules that they had in 2000, um, in 2000 and, uh, when the last time was 50, 50. And basically, you know, if it's a tie vote in committee, it goes to the floor. Um, so I don't think they're going to have a lot of problems getting things. I I do see a lot of stuff getting past 51 to 50 or 50 to 50 with, with, uh, vice president Harris being the tie breaking vote. Um, I think Joe Manchin is going to be the most popular Senator for the next, at least the next two years, because his vote's going to basically decide whether or not something's going to get passed. But I don't, I don't, um, underestimate Joe Biden's ability to, talk to Republicans. I think he's very good at that. And I think he can probably bring people along and understand, and he understands more than anybody that you need to have buy-in from the other side. Um, even if it's only a couple votes, but you need to have the buy-in from the other side to, to, to legitimize what you want to do and what you want to accomplish. Um, so I don't think it's going to be hard for him to get things out of committee. I, th- I, I think it's going to be hard to get things through the house or not through the house, but, um, I think the way the far left wants to see things done, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, it's going to be a lot of compromise. Um, I I think it'll just come down to kind of what you said before. Do we have people who are there that are serious about getting things done or are right. they just there to get reelected? And... But how do you, how do you feel about, you know, impeachment being in all of this? What do you what do you think about that? I I I don't I mean I think it's the right thing to do but yeah. I'm very much a realist. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like um it doesn't seem like it's going to get he's going to get convicted so yeah. I saw where Kane introduced was is talking about maybe censuring right. Trump. Which might be the best way to go if you think you have any hope of sort of working with Republicans. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I don't feel like the Republicans have shown over the last four to six years, you give them an inch, they take a mile. And mm-hmm. I just don't feel like, I don't know that, I'm really torn because I don't know that if you, even if you just censured him, they're just going to, they're going to take that territory and then look to take more when, when, when you give it to them. Um, so I guess with impeachment, I hope to me, a part of me would, would be really satisfied to have 45 Republicans on record voting that not to impeach Trump for inciting an insurrection, um, going into 2022, 45 senators, um, going into the 2022 elections just to say this is where the GOP party is yeah. maybe to knock some sense into them. But 
at the same time, we also got to get a lot done. Like it's America's not in a good place. Yeah. So I, I don't really have a, I, it does. It does definitely feel like um, like the GOP has co- sort of they're trying to brush it under the the carpet at the moment and just yeah. move on. And I do think that there needs to be some sort of something on the record to say they they excuse this behavior. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I'm I've always been supremely confident that that the Senate and the House, for that matter, can can walk and chew gum at the same time and they can do multiple things at once, even things as big as, as an impeachment trial, um, while trying to negotiate a COVID relief package or, you know, whatever, um, priority that's coming down. Um, but I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I kind of feel like there needs to be a statement. And I know I, based on everything that I read and, and, and understand, I, I know that McConnell really wants to do something, but when the support's not there, he's not one to force the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, because his goal at the end of the day is to expand his caucus, the size of his caucus, and he needs to put him, he needs to put them in a position to be winning in 2022. And I don't know how he does that. I, th- <clears throat> uh, I mean, especially with some of the retirements. I mean, North Carolina with Berg on, that's not going to be an easy seat to, to retain. Um, I already told you, I already said that Pennsylvania, I don't think is something that Republicans can keep in 2022. And, but Ohio, I do believe there needs to be some level of rebuke. And if the Republic, if there are 45 Republicans that vote against censure or against impeachment, then voters need to take that in consideration um, in 2022 or for the ones that are up for re-election in 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it would be nice to like, I, I understand the arguments like you, you don't bring Trump back up, but like, you know, I, I also really believe, you know, you can't have unity or anything close to it without accountability. And, um, you know, that was a, inexcusable treasonous act and and if you could ensure that trump can never run for federal office again yeah that would take a a big relief but don't you think there's there's a level and i think among normal people not not people who have who focus on politics or or work in it but the normal people that there's sort of this fatigue out there of trump and they just want to be done with him for a while and not talking i mean i think a lot of people have been very happy to not talk about trump as much um especially in the last seven days um since the inauguration um yeah i think they're in the level of trump fatigue out there that forget it just we'll deal with it in (laughs) in 2024 if he decides to run again or something like that What what do you think about that no, I, I think you saw that in sort of anecdotes and polling mm-hmm. is people mm-hmm. were tired of him and it does not bode well for if he were to be a nominee again. Um, at the same time, I don't, I just don't know if you can take that chance. God, can you imagine yeah. if he was reelected in 2024? I know. <laughs> He'd really, uh, he'd really burn shit to the ground because he'd be pissed <laughs> off that he had I to know. It'd be his vengeance tour. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> um, well, oh my God. He'd paint the White House things... like 
he'd paint the white house like dark red or something like that well let's hope things sort of stay wonky and boring yeah it's nice i was thinking about it too i mean we for i'd say for most of i mean there were moments but for most of the obama administration it was this is kind of what it felt like for most of it there was some you know i think during the aca it got a little crazy and and probably there was a couple other times even the bush administration going through a, you know september 11th and the war on terror and iraq war and afghanistan it still felt and cuz a lot of that had to do with foreign policy and and military policy and it really didn't affect a whole lot on the domestic front it felt this is kind of what it felt like and it's nice yes it's really I mean, really nice i mean i there were things that Trump did, especially in the first two years that I, from a policy standpoint, ag- agreed with, you know, well, most for the most part, but still the manner in which it was all done just made it made me anxious and stressed out. And I hated so much about politics and I don't feel that I haven't felt that way this week. And I like that. Yeah, no, I, I it really amazes me what we just went through with Fort in the last four years. I mean, you could probably go back and look at how, look at the papers almost every day and find something nearly outrageous. Um, And for me, I remember election night when he was elected. Um, I couldn't sleep. Mm-hmm. And my my biggest concern were was that he was an unserious man who didn't understand um, the way of government and was only out for himself. All things that I think he clearly proved true and concern. And I would say that absent a nuclear war, it went worse than I ever would have imagined. <laughs> and 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 I was gripped with dread the night of the election. And so to have this last 10 days where he is out of the news and he's not tweeting, it's, it's just, it's just nice. Like you said. So, yeah. So it's not what I'm into, (laughs) uh, this week, but I am into it in a way. Um, I just hope the podcast doesn't suffer too much. We can talk about <laughs> stuff. We have there's plenty of stuff to talk about. We well, it's funny because we, you know, we were supposed to record. It. We, oh, we, I, I will be talking about that when we're on what we're into. Um, it, but it's funny because we were, you know, we were supposed to record several days ago, and we we're like, ah, oh, nothing's nothing's going to happen, and literally nothing happened. Our our outline did not change one bit from Sunday to tonight at all, which under you know, during Trump, it changed, it would have changed by the freaking hour. Uh, that means maybe we can do some deep dives on some stuff. I, I'm excited about that actually. Yeah, I really am. I think it's a good and, opportunity to do some new, new sort of formats. Yeah. This, you know, um, I've got some ideas I, I'll run by you, but, um, so tell me what you're into. You said GameStop. I'm in, I'm into this whole GameStop thing. I think it's amazing. I love that hedge fund, you know, guys are freaking out. I love it that they lost money. 
I love it that a bunch of kids who basically crowdsourced uh, this stock into increasing a thousand percent or eight hundred percent, whatever it was, that has no uh, material value, that has <laughs> and made money off of it. Like God bless them. I think it's awesome, and I think it's ridiculous that there are people out there who have the who have the balls to say that the that the SEC and regular regulators need to step in to say that this shouldn't be happening. But it's perfectly fine for these assholes to short stocks and make mm-hmm. you know billions of dollars off the misery of people, just like they did during the housing crisis in two thousand eight. Um, you know, you can't have one without the other. They both need to be, you know. The squeeze and the short, they both need to be legal or they both need to be illegal. You can't just mm-hmm. pick a, win- a winner and a loser there. But um, I love this story. I really, really do. Um, and I think I, I, I told you this before we started recording. I got into a texting uh, uh, comment or with some of my friends. And you know there was one guy who said that these guys who did the squeeze are those same people who would bet on the don't pass line in craps. Um, to which... Several people pointed out, like, no, that's actually the hedge fund managers, managers yeah. short stocks. They're the ones that are betting on the don't pass line, uh, betting against the other players. Really, I think it's both of them are doing it. They're both assholes, but I think the sh- people who short are bigger assholes uh, than the people well, who did the squeeze. For, uh, for those who may not be familiar with craps, you can play one of the bets you can play is a pass line, don't pass line, which means if you be- play the pass line, you're betting that the come out number will be rolled again before a seven. Mm-hmm. And if you're betting the don't pass, you're betting the seven will, we'll come, will, first. will we'll be, see. will come first, which is, um, uh, odds wise, the better bet. Mm-hmm. But most people at a, at a craps table play the, the pass line. And if anyone's played craps before, they know it's a, it's a very community friendly game where, yep. you know, lots of high fives when, and so, the assholes are always the ones playing the don't pass line. It's usually like old Asian men. <laughs> <laughs> I might get canceled for that comment, but yeah, uh, you're fine. I dare, dare someone to prove me wrong. If you find, go look and see who's playing don't pass line in Vegas. It's going to yeah. be a grumpy old Asian dude. Um, but no, it's a cool story. I, I, I think it's neat. I think um, it might end badly for some people. <laughs> yeah, I forget the name of the guy. So there's this sometime uh, host of Shark Tank. You know, it's got Mark Cuban and Damon John, and you know all these these people who are normal, the regular people, a regular cast of of Shark Tank. And then there's this guy who's one of the original or first like five or ten guys at Google who made really smart investments, and mm. so he's a shark. I sometime. Know who Mm-hmm. I forget, he always wears like weird Western yep. shirts. Yep. Chris no. something, I think is his name. He made it, he actually got quoted today. He said that he actually did a squeeze years Chris and years something. and years ago and he made like $12 million. Um, but of course it was financed with debt and he stayed in too long and ended up going at 4 million in the hole. Mm-hmm. So you know there are there are these folks out there giving the cautionary tales to these people to these kids or millennials or whoever you know the 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 Reddit chain of folks that did this not to stay in for too long because you know don't play the long game here if you made if you made your money get the hell out um, GameStop this isn't going to save GameStop at the end of the day um, right it's still a failing business um, and stores are still closing and all that. Um, 
but it was it i think they're i like seeing that part too you've got these people who who are made a lot of money very financially savvy who are telling the, these guys like get out what one now that you've gotten good get out mm-hmm. uh, so that you don't screw yourself yeah but, um, chris saka okay yeah 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 and Another shark tanker, Mark Cuban, I saw was tweeting support for a lot of these Wall Street betters um, and really writing, saying the fix was in when kind of the trading was halted today that caused a lot of people to be able to maybe get short positions back in and drive it down. So TD Ameritrade and and Robin Hood are getting just freaking just smeared online right now for for cutting trading or stopping trading and basically coming to the rescue of all the hedge fund managers yeah i'm sure some favors were called in <laughs> um and you know yeah I, I i again i we'll see how it ends i think tomorrow they're allowing some more trading of gamestop and amc um but it is it just goes to show I, I actually was reading a little bit about this before um, as, as someone who is familiar with the industry said uh, what it may do is just um, if if value of you know inherent value of a company um, really plays no part in how much a share price is it may affect kind of how much uh, some of these institutional investors go into certain plays in the future because mm-hmm. if they can just be subject to the whims of a, a Reddit mob, then they need to check their, you know, how, how exposed they are. And yeah. Um, um, so there could be some changes that come from it, which I think is probably a good thing. Yeah. I think it's a good thing. I mean, like I was saying, the outrage coming from, the investor class, you know, the only good take I've seen on this anywhere, it was somebody tweeted like, Oh no, the wrong people are manipulating the stock market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, there really is like, it's it, the old boys club showed their colors. Um, like how dare you come into our turf kind of, kind of stuff. Um, I really, I think that might be why I like this, this story so much and why I'm so into it. The other thing, I, I, that's been funny or some of the, the Twitter comments that are like the, the, the current top five richest people in the world. And it's like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Bill Gates. And then it's like Tig Biddy, 6969, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, I always appreciate stuff like that. So. I love it. Yeah. You be, are you in, into anything right now? Um, I, you know, we're, I'm always into something, uh, true. And I thought about saying something pretty pedestrian. Like I've, it's been nice to be back in, and, and riding our Peloton. I, did you know we got a Peloton? I didn't know you got a Peloton. Nice. Yeah. We have a Peloton. Um, but you know, that's not really, uh, too novel to be into your Peloton. Um, and so I did, when you know, I told you earlier, we drove back through, um, Boulder and, and then the second night from Utah, we stayed in, in Lincoln, Nebraska, mm-hmm. and we stayed in this hotel chain called the graduate hotel chain. Have you heard of this? I have not. Hotel chain? Well, so th- I'm, I'm, I'm into them. Um, 
I looked them up. They they basically are a boutique hotel chain that set up um, local like college town hotels. So mm-hmm. in places like Lincoln, Nebraska or Athens, Georgia, um, Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, it was started by a graduate from the University of Tennessee. Um, it's it's headquartered in Chicago now, actually. Wow. And they have um, locations in like a bunch of like maybe 20 college towns in America. And they, they, they make hotels that kind of reflect the local town and the history. They have one in Evanston, actually, here. There's one in Nashville. I think maybe there's a lot of SEC representation. Um, but it's a nice, it was kind of like a cool place to kind of stumble upon. Um, we booked it as we were driving into Lincoln and, um, pretty nice setup. And, you know, it's nice to support a hotel that's not a Marriott or, right. uh, or Hilton or Hyatt. Um, so the graduate hotels, that's what I'm into. Nice. I'm going to look them up. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, man. I guess we'll, uh, be back at everybody next time around. Follow us on Twitter at Bros Politics. Uh, listen to us wherever you get your podcasts: Apple Podcasts, uh, Amazon, Spotify. Yep. And uh, hopefully, we're very soon going to get to go to a casino. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Let's do it. All right, man. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>